Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. In this podcast, your host Edmar Ferreira will be joined by expert guests as they dive into the world of deep tech. We are telling the stories of the heroes who are taking real risks to give us a future of flying cars, virtual reality, robots, and space exploration. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Ivan Lee, CEO and founder of Datasore. He graduated with a computer science bachelor's from Stanford University. He has spent the last 10 years as a product manager for machine learning and most recently at Apple. Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. Today, we are here with Ivan Lee from Datasor, a really interesting company in the AI field. So welcome, Ivan. It's a pleasure to have you here. And let's start talking about what the future looks like when you guys are really, really successful. Thanks for having me. So let me start with some contextual background. The existence of the human language is what distinguishes us from every other species on this planet. It's, it comprises every form of communication from the first instances of accounting records for sales of clay pots to the Magna Carta to me talking to you here today. NLP, natural language processing, is the branch of AI dedicated to helping machines learn the human language. And it's advancing at a speed we haven't really fully grasped yet. Once this is solved, computers will be able to read and understand the quadrillions of documents we've already created, generate uncountably more, and improve human-computer interaction at a rate that surpasses even the smartphone. In order to make that all happen, models will need to take existing documents and learn how to parse them to understand what's important. This is done through a process called labeling. Prior to starting Datasore, I was at Apple, where I spent hundreds of millions of Apple dollars on this data labeling process. And believe it or not, we had to do all of that labeling on spreadsheets back then. So three years ago, I found a Datasore to build something better. And to answer your question, if we are successful, every NLP team in coming years will be reliant on Datasore for this data labeling process. Oh, oh. Yeah, we are seeing a lot of evolution in NLP. You have like things like GPT-3 that captured a lot of the media. It's a lot of things in NLP being in, I think it's, it's getting a lot of traction in the last like three to four years. And we have seen like benchmark after benchmark being, being broken and a lot of excitement around it. So... Where you guys are today? Like, what's your product and your platform does today? So what we provide is essentially a solution that allows you to more efficiently label your text and audio data. And we also have built and baked in best practices into our product. So you actually get higher quality data as output as well. So our challenge in getting here was in building and designing an interface to compete with spreadsheets. And while spreadsheets are very rudimentary, the benefit is that it's really easy to get started with them, right? We're already familiar with that. So Datasore had this challenge of being both really easy to get started with, but also complex and customizable enough to support any and all of the host of NLP labeling tasks out there. So that's the, the SaaS solution that we provide to data science and NLP teams today. So in general, people use your solution and then the labeling they do themselves. So they hire extra people to do. Do we have a marketplace for that? Like how 
how this works, or do you intend to have one someday? What 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 are you thinking about it? <laughs> yeah, so great questions. This is one of the first and most common questions that we get. So we don't actually have internal annotation teams ourselves. Our customers really vary the spectrum. Some would like to work with outsourced uh, annotation providers. And so we partner with companies around the globe who specialize in doing exactly that. But other customers need to do this in-house for a whole variety of reasons. It could be data privacy, security, or it could be that they need licensed lawyers or medical doctors to even understand their text to begin with. And so we were built out to support any and all of the above situations. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. There's privacy issues as well, right? Some some companies will need to do like annotation their own data and they can't have like outside. It's, it's a mess to have outside people looking at the data because of privacy issues and contracts and all the things that you would imagine like the big companies have. So nowadays, your biggest market is private tech companies or more like in labs and universities? Like what's the, the main target right now for you guys? Yeah, what's been really interesting to discover over the last three years is that there are people ready to use this all across the globe and in many different settings. So we support dozens of universities and students. We provide this software to them for free. We work with high-tech companies, the, the names you might think about here in Silicon Valley. Uh, we also work with more traditional institutions who are just getting started with machine learning and NLP. And I think something that's been really interesting for us has been, if you think about it, if you observe the trends in NLP research, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of breakthroughs. But most of those breakthroughs are being done in English and Mandarin, because that's where a lot of the research papers have been written. And what we're discovering is that there is international appetite for similar technological advances. So we have people labeling data in Spanish, in French, in Korean, in Hindi, uh, languages all across the globe, just because we need to reach that same basic level of like NLP capability and unlock the potential of that technology in different languages. Yeah, this happens a lot. Like, let's say, for example, maybe in Brazilian and look at a Portuguese and you see like most of the data sets, like the big data sets are all in English. So this actually, it's a big problem to have. Like, even if you have the right algorithms and the right architecture, the results will be worse because you have less data and we're not able to achieve the state of the art because you will not have enough labeled data. And at the same time, I think it's interesting because this could give as well like local companies an advantage if they, they hire and try to do their own labeling and through a platform like, like yours, they could be able to create their own proprietary data set in their own language, which would make their product better than like even the big tech, let's say companies, right? Exactly. And we're seeing companies and startups do that all around the world, right? So it's not just language, by the way. It's easy enough to identify corporations like McDonald's and Starbucks and Coca-Cola, but there's a lot of local franchises, local companies that are, you know, ubiquitously known in, in each individual country that aren't in the most common data sets and databases yet. So we're seeing startups have better NLP than Google performs in their country. So I think that's, it's an untapped amount of potential, even as NLP continues to develop in the state of the art. Yeah, and, and just, just one thing, like in your site, you guys say, if I remember that, you 
get like 80% of automation of data labeling. Like what does that mean? Like what type of automation do you do in the data labeling process? Yeah. So when I was in charge of data labeling at previous companies, we spent all this time and money labeling basic things like Saturday and Starbucks and London from scratch. We know what those things are already, right? So we can automatically apply those labels. We know that Saturday yeah. is a day of the, the week. So now we can just focus, each of our customers can focus on the things that are really important to them, right? And by oh, the way, if we notice that you label Apple as a computer company five times in a row, we can start suggesting that as a computer company, not a fruit. So we also, our platform can learn from your existing labels to generate and suggest more, further saving time and effort. So you have not, okay. So you'll have like the platform as a SaaS where like some more like workflow too. So it's going to be, make it easier for people to actually do the, the, the labeling and reduce the timing and cost and make it easier to do. But at the same time, you have a model that is learning from this labeling and already has some presets on that model that would like shrink the labeling part. So it's like, where I have like a quick start, let's say, and, and let people actually spend more time on the, the part, the what's particular in their case. Is correct? Precisely right. The analogy I use frequently is imagine that all the tech company designers were working in Microsoft Paint for a moment. Like how <laughs> tedious would that be, right? And we're introducing Figma to this industry where suddenly yeah. things automatically snap. Squares are automatically drawn in the right place on the right layer, right? Like there's a little little bits of like intelligence and automation there that just make your life easier. That's exactly what data source bringing to the data labeling industry. Yeah, this this is interesting. And and in general, like how do you guys price this this software? Like it's per label per user. How 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 did you guys figure out how to how to charge for that? Yeah. So a personal issue of mine was that a lot of the existing companies in this space would used to charge per label. And so, you know, you'd be charged for a base platform fee that includes up to 200,000 labels. But then every label after that, you're like charging a little bit more. And it was just really frustrating or it gave me a sense of anxiety to like add additional labels, even though that's what we were there to do. So we charge based on the number of seats, the size of the company, uh, whether you need this on our public SaaS platform, or if you need to, to deploy this on-prem, right? So uh, we have a more simplified business model, allowing people to just label to, you know, their team's needs. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think that the, the data, the, the pricing per label makes more sense if you are providing actually the the people doing the labeling as well than the actual software of it. Because otherwise you are like you're pricing you're pricing people out of usage actually. Because you're you're doing like a penalty for people who use your software the most actually. It's not like a, a line pricing structure in that sense. Who not yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. PowerPoint charged you for every single slide that you created. Yeah, yeah, doesn't make any sense. And and how did you before that? Just going back in time a little bit, when you when you go to Apple as working on this area of labeling, how how did you end up doing this in the first place? Like how how did you got to work with the labeling part at, at Apple? Like what's the story there? 
Yeah. So I've been a product manager my entire career. I studied computer science at Stanford. I've been a product manager for the last 15 years. And when I switched over to product managing AI products, what I learned was the thing that I could do to best unlock my engineers was gather more labeled data. And this is a common kind of misperception about the AI space. Everyone thinks that AI engineers need to implement new models and, you know, implement the state no. of the art, try the newest research paper. But really, the thing that can oftentimes, you know, improve your model by the biggest amount is just creating better quality, and adding more data, right? Giving it more examples to learn from. And so that's what I did as a product manager. But as I dove into it, I made all these rookie mistakes and I saw, you know, each company I went to struggling with the same issues that the previous company had solved for. And so instead of reinventing the wheel yet a third time, I decided to solve this once and for all and start this company. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's a lot of like when you are, there's this difference as well between academia and, and, and industry as well, because in general, when you are in academia and AI, you tend to work with the data sets that already exist. So there's like the benchmark data sets that people use to try new algorithms and, and break the, the state of the art. But in reality, when you need to do anything useful, you're not going to be using those benchmark data sets anyway. You need to create your own for, mo for most of the things that are actually useful or for a company or a startup, you need to create a new data set for that for most interesting tasks actually absolutely because even even if the data set the, the, the data is already there you not have any differentiation if we're just using an, an open uh, benchmark let's say so you need to have your own uh, data and as well you need to improve on things you are doing as well so both are important for you to have a differential right yeah and i'll take it one step further i think that Even two companies doing the exact same thing, like direct competitors, they may have very similar data sets and they'll label it in completely different ways. That's what we've seen, right? Like two legal companies, both la uh, labeling, I don't know, hiring contracts will want to extract different points of interest from that document. And so you see them with completely different resulting data sets, right? Because they have different models and different end goals as companies. So Uh, I think that's honestly what, you know, the reason that we can exist. Things are not converging. Everybody has their own custom model they want to build out. And in the in the NLP space, what are you more excited about? Like, what do you think or do you quite often look at it and, and think that it's exciting for the future? Well, that's a tough question. So for context, a lot of happening, right? <laughs> a lot of things happening. So for context, we started off building an, a text tool in the first two years of the company. In November of last year, we launched an audio annotation tool. And we're seeing, you know, really exciting developments on both the text and audio fronts. But I'll pick one thing. I referenced legal earlier, right? There are, I just found this stat. Can you believe that there are 2.5 trillion PDFs out there in the world. Just PDFs alone. This is straight from a VP at Adobe. So, PDFs, a lot. Jesus Christ, yeah. Yes. And so imagine if we could look through all of that literature and find connections that we weren't aware of, right? 
we have, we've supported multiple nonprofits and academics doing COVID research. And there's all these new papers being discovered all the time, right? Being able to connect the dots and discover these connections between papers that a human would never have had the time to find. I think that shows showcases some of the potential of NLP technology. We're seeing an adoption of just voice to text technology, right? And everything from call centers through to devices in our own homes and on our phones. And I think once that reaches the next level, I think we're going to unlock a new level of human computer interaction that we can't even fully fathom right now, right? Similar to the, you know, people couldn't see what smartphones would be like when Apple first introduced the iPhone. I think that's a revolutionary technology that's going to change how our children will be interacting with computers. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. I, I have seen a lot of excitement in there as well. And do you guys think about doing anything related to active learning in the platform to help on the, the labeling and the just to explain to non-AI people, active learning, it's a type of technique where you end up choosing what would be the most interesting or let's say the best option of data to be actually classified by a human. So you end up reducing a lot of the, the, the total time you need to, to be classifying because the computer will tell you what doubts it has, let's say, put in a bluntly form, like where it's most insecure about and you could go uh, fetching more data on that, that part that it's more cloudy, let's say. What do you guys think about that? Like, Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really important realm of research for us. So we already allow customers to plug their models into Datasore and see what their model suggests, right? Look at all those inferences, look at their confidence scores. We, you know, this is something we recently disclosed. We actually acquired another AI company earlier this year. And so with that comes a whole host of AI and OCR talent, and we are actively working on active learning, no pun intended. So a lot of people ask us, like, if there's, you know, there's a lot of trends to reduce the amount of data required to train models. And if that's an existential crisis for us, right? Like, do we need data store if data thresholds are, are lowered? But my answer is, it's actually good for us. It allows more people to get into the AI game and it expands the, the real customer base out there. And I think that's, you know, really key to, to get AI to the levels of ubiquitous adoption that we're hoping for. Yeah. And, and even though if reduced the amount of, of labeling, you didn't price yourself in the amount of labor in any way. So I don't that's think right. that this would, this would impact you directly because... It doesn't matter how much labels. What's interesting is that if they need the labeling, they will be using the platform and as much as they needed to create their own data sets. Yeah. I don't think it's like a direct threat for you as well. And like, at least like the, your pricing, just by the sake of, of your pricing strategy, you are avoiding that in the long term, I think. And, and tell me a little bit more about this company that, that you acquired. Like, what's the name? What? How it happened? It's your first acquisition. Yeah. So uh, the name of the company was Convergent AI. So one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that 90% of my team is in Indonesia. So oh. product design and engineering is in Indonesia. Sales, marketing, and customer success is here in the U.S. 
Convergent is another AI company from Indonesia. I've been in touch with the CEO for three years, been really impressed by what he and his team were able to build. And during one of our chats, we realized we can accomplish more together with a joint roadmap than independently as partners, which is what we were before. And so it just naturally made sense for us to, to combine forces. And now we're going to integrate their OCR capabilities, the ability to translate images into text, and then also add, you know, seven AI engineers to our team. So it was just a really timely conversation. Oh, this is, this is interesting. And what's the... What's the story of Indonesia? Why Indonesia? So I am Chinese, Indonesian, American. So my parents are oh. from Indonesia um, and I was born and raised in the States, which means I have family connections and ties to Indonesia. I spent a decent amount of time there during vacations growing up. And it's just an amazing country with a ton of raw talent. And so it's just a competitive advantage we had as a company from the get-go was access to this talent pool that nobody else is really tapping into. So just been, you know, really, yeah, it's been a great resource. Yeah, for us. And, and I think with like the, the whole remote work thing, I think this is going to be more, more and more and more common. Like this globalization yeah. of talent, let's say you're going to find like smart people over the world and you can have smart people working in the same project. You. So another question for you, besides NLP, what other area of tech are you more excited about? Like supposedly that was not possible anymore to, to work with NLP or AI, or at least not in, in the data labeling space. What other area would you think that it's interesting? I don't think this exactly answers your question, but this is actually my second company. My first company was one that I sold to Yahoo and it was actually a mobile gaming company. So my other passion outside of, you know, this, this AI work right now, uh, is actually in gaming. And I think that there is, things have stagnated a little bit in the gaming industry. Mobile gaming feels more like addictive gambling than for fun. Yeah. So I, if I weren't working on this, I'd be working on an idea I have to make gaming fun again. Yeah. A lot of pay between and things like that, like ended up crippling into mobile game and things like that. Yeah, true. I think there's yeah. an opportunity there as well. And, and if someone someone was starting an AI company today, what advice would you give to them? My advice is that AI is very crowded, right? For the last 10 years, people have just been overwhelmed, both investors and customers alike, with this promise of AI. And unfortunately, as with any gold rush, a lot of the promises just never delivered. So what I would do if starting an AI company is to build a proof of concept using true machine learning. Don't fake it. Don't use heuristics. Prove to yourself and your team that you can solve a very specific problem. So, for example, if you wanted to use AI for HR, use it to scan resumes from a very specific industry and solve one very specific problem that, you know, Through user interviews, you know that HR companies would love to automate. Take that one successful use case and expand from there. There's so many that I feel have these grandiose visions of pursuing AGI and, you know, this <laughs> universal NLP labeling model and we're going to do all this, like world domination. I think that's fine for like the vision pitch. But realistically, you need to start somewhere, solve a real problem, get a couple of paying customers, 
and expand within that vertical. I feel like that's how I've seen every successful AI company we work with. That's how they got started. And do you think that all this hype and all this this thing about the let's say the AI industry as a whole, like how do you think that we could at least reduce that? I think this caused a lot of noise in the the uh, in the industry because there is like at the same time that there is real advancements and excitement because you see the research and you see things breakthrough after breakthrough. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors as well, and a lot of like too much smoke, not much fire sometimes. <laughs> and and like, how do you think that we as a as an industry could could do better? That's any idea on that front. So here's my controversial take. I'm not sure we need to change that. I think this notion of a marketplace of ideas means that with any gold rush, there's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of frauds, right? Yeah. And yeah, they taint the overall reputation of the technology. But through this, the ones who survive, these are the best of the best. They're the strongest, right? So I think it it's actually healthy that we had all of this hype. It's okay that it was overhyped. Because this really is going to be a generational change in our lives, right? Like when I started my career, the smartphone was just taking off. And so I saw this entire trajectory and adoption curve of the smartphone and it's changed our lives. And there were a lot of noise. And remember all of those stupid apps in the app store that were just like a flashlight or a, you know, a fart noise making button, right? Like we thousand needed- dollars app, like I'm rich. Do you remember that one? Yeah, of course, right? <laughs> well, like, we had to get through that to get to the point where we have an actually useful app store today in order to have a healthy ecosystem of mobile developers, right? So I see AI as still being in the early stages of a similar revolutionary technology shift. Yeah. And what do you, do you think about other areas of AI besides labeling? Would you guys think about expanding further in other verticals in AI or there's still a lot of, of work to do in the labeling area? I mean, so I think the elephant in the room is when we're talking about data labeling, the company that most people will have heard about is probably Scale AI or Labelbox. Right. Yeah. And these companies are doing great work for computer vision. And when they were founded, it's because at the time, trillion dollars was being thrown into self-driving and computer vision was the most hyped up flashy technology. Right. And I think that's great. So I do believe computer vision will have a significant, you know, impact on our lives too. I do think that NLP was not only underrated, but has proven to actually be the more mature and production-ready AI technology, right? Out of this umbrella of different AI technologies, we've actually seen the deployment of text and audio to a greater extent. Like, it impacts my daily life more so than what image computer vision has done. So sure. I definitely, you know, I think 
all of AI is interesting. I'm also, you know, given my passion, I'm also really curious about the ability for AI to learn to play all these different games. So I'm excited about all these different applications. But when I decided to place my bet, I bet on NLP. Yeah, I think that one thing that people don't think about a lot is that in, at the end of the day, you could say that Google is an NLP company search, which is we use every single day and has been like a one of the most one of the biggest money generation machines ever, plus one of the best products ever that people use daily to do things. And it's, in the end of the day, it's an NLP system and an NLP company at the end of the day. So it's a lot of things to be done in that, that area for sure. And yeah. do you remember when Google announced itself as an AI first company and it was, you know, yeah. Hunter? Yeah, that yeah. was what, 2014 or something? But yeah. what that really meant was ultimately Google was becoming an NLP company. They replaced all of their search heuristics with AI models, right? So yes, you are absolutely right. Google is the most successful NLP company in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I'm curious about, when we started Datasaur and now, like what surprised you the most during this journey? Like what do you think that you you didn't thought about and then you discovered during this process? Could I be think about talked- starting a company, could be about the industry, could be about anything. <laughs> I think we've covered a couple of these topics, right? So for example, the application to different international languages was something I didn't take into account at the beginning. But I think a couple other things that we learned along the way, we learned that it's not just about the interface. It's about the data scientists or product managers job to manage the workforce. So now half of our product is not just the labeling interface itself, but in reporting and dashboarding and integration into existing tech stacks. Right. And I think the other thing that perhaps is more interesting to to listeners today is how broadly applicable NLP is. You know, we have a lot of success with healthcare, legal, and fintech companies, but we also have companies doing e-commerce, academic research. We have people going through restaurant menus and figuring out what's there. Like, if we just take the scope of, like, all of human language as the scope of NLP, that there's just an amazing amount of opportunity to unlock. So back to your earlier question about, you know, what should an AI company be doing? Think hard about applying AI and NLP locally to within a specific region or specific language. And I think there's tons of opportunity there all around. One thing about more on the business side, how did you got your first customer? <laughs> so one thing we haven't covered is that I've been a consumer PM up until this company. And I almost oh. reluctantly went into B2B SaaS. Because I never saw myself as a salesperson. And over the last three years, I'd ha- I've had to teach myself sales and figure out, like, what is my own approach and brand? Like, how do I do handle a sales conversation? And so when I look back to the earliest days, I cringe a little bit. But, yeah, it was a lot of, like, begging and asking and user interview, really, like, it started from user interviews. Like, can I talk to you about your data labeling technique and how you do it? Because every company, there's no standardization in this industry. Everybody approaches it a little bit differently. Everyone's invented their own way of doing things. So some of those turn into, well, your tool seems pretty neat. And rather than us build something internally, why don't we just use your tool, right? So 
we were just really fortunate to have people believe in us and give us a chance in the early days. We were often talking to other startups at the time. But yeah, I think I'd like to think I've evolved a lot since then as a salesperson and have learned a lot. And how it's your process today? Like, how do you like uh, find customers? It's like, what's what's what you guys are doing today? Yeah. So to be honest, and, and this is, you know, fairly transparently into to how we operate up until December of last year, most of our leads were just referrals and inbound. And we were lucky enough to have like enough in- generated interest to keep our sales funnel full through that alone. This is healthy. Yeah. This is good. It is healthy. We were lucky. Right. Yeah. Um, but this year we know we now have like the best product for text and audio labeling. But the problem is not only have our customers not heard of us, it doesn't even occur, occur to them that there might be a professional tool for this. Like their mind goes straight to spreadsheets and then it stops there. Like people aren't even doing that Google search for, does there exist a tool for something like this? So now our approach is in putting out more content, doing more social media, doing more interviews, right? Just getting the word out there that not only does a tool exist, but like we've come a long way and, and we're a very comprehensive tool and you should never start building your own internal tool. Just like you would never rebuild Figma or Photoshop internally. Like you should not, not even consider building a labeling tool internally. Right. So you can expect a lot more from, from our marketing team this year in terms of just educating the industry and, and letting them know that something like this exists. Yeah. I think that's this. Yeah. I think content is the is the best way to do that as well. Like you're gonna need to teach people that that option exists and that doing doing that. I think a, a thing that I don't know if there is in the industry as well, but I think that naming the whole process instead of just the tool could be something interesting as well. Like the whole like a methodology of the whole thing. Like getting one thing that helped us. At the early days at Rock, and I think like HubSpot is another good example of guys that did it well with the inbound marketing thing, is that inventing a name and then using this name to explain a complex step-by-step process. Because the labeling is is not just the the labeling, right? There's a lot of steps and decisions and things that needs to, to happen there. And since you guys are doing it for a lot of different companies, you are like a hub of good practices because you have access yeah. to everybody. So you could like take all those best practices and capsule them in a, in a sort of methodology and then market that process or that methodology as a, as a way of, of growing your perception. This could be interesting way of doing this, this marketing to generate awareness for people because you guys have a lot of insights on how to do labeling the best way possible because you're going to see many data labeling projects in any company at any given time who have like an order of magnitude less experience than you guys already have. So this could be an interesting way. Just, just a quick idea. Anyway. (laughs) That's a great point. And you know, we've actually baked it in. So, for all of our customers, we have an onboarding process where we're basically consulting with them on best practices. But I really like the idea from a branding perspective of naming a whole process and taking lead on that. So thank yeah. you. Make your guys a leader in a 
this whole thing. Cool. And when you think about working on, on the deep tech segment, AI and other deep tech area, about fundraising, what was the biggest challenge for you guys when you guys were fundraising? <laughs> so the biggest challenge was we, uh, we went through Y Combinator and then our graduation day, the day we were supposed to pitch all the investors, that was the day that California shut down for the pandemic. Oh. So oh, it was a very uh, super interesting time to, to fundraise. We made it through all right. <laughs> we ended up raising more than expected because I didn't know what was happening to the world at the time. So we, we fundraise under very unique circumstances. I would also say, you know, it is, it is always easier for, for second time founders. Um, so I benefited from the network and, you know, that, that experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And what people tend to get wrong about the company or the product when you are pitching investors or explaining the company to, to people, what people tend to get wrong about what you guys do? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I think the first, first and foremost, people assume that we have annotation services, but we're not a services company, right? There are people who specialize in that and they're great at operations and we just choose to partner with them because that allows each of us to focus on what we're best at. The other thing is people just don't really understand that data scientists and AI engineers are really frustrated with this uh, universally, right? Like they, in an industry survey, they spend a majority of their time cleaning and labeling data. And when you're paying the big bucks and you've, you know, won the bid and for, for contracting and hiring these engineers, you don't want them wasting more than 50% of their time on something they don't enjoy and, you know, really shouldn't be uh, their burden to begin with. But I think it takes some time to explain to VCs who have never gone through it before. Um, it's just something that people are starting to, to realize over time. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So my two last questions. So first, uh, a book that you would recommend or that you you like? Yeah, I'm gonna have to go uh, millennial here and opt out of a book, but rather a YouTube channel that I've been really enjoying recently, which is Oversimplified. Um, it is a channel that specifically goes into all these historic events in a really entertaining manner. And I think there's a lot to learn from, from history and, you know, people have done things before. So most recently I watched a video about the Napoleonic Wars and just learned about Napoleon as a historical figure. And it is remarkable what, what he achieved. And I think there's a lot for us to be able to learn from that. This channel is amazing. I love it actually. I watch it too. Yeah, it's good. A lot of the yes. drawings, the, the drawings are so funny. It's so yeah. good. So the, yes. the humor on it is really good as well. Like, it's a lot of, of, of history there. It's a really great channel. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And if you could send a message to everybody on earth, just one, what it would be? Okay, so that's a tougher one. I mean, part of me wants to go with the whole like peace and love thing and treat your neighbors kindly, but more pragmatically, perhaps uh, it is related to my previous answer. I think the one thing that I give, you know, people I've mentored 
a number of people who come to me with questions about whether they should start a company, what they can do to, to kickstart their careers. And I think what I always tell them is the single most important personality trait you can have going into the 21st century is that of curiosity. Because we're in an age where basically 99% of anything and everything we've ever learned is available on the internet for you to learn, right? No matter where you are, as long as you have a smartphone and an internet connection, you can learn all of this. So I think the people who will succeed in this coming era are the ones who are curious and are able to absorb and learn as much of that as possible. So that's that's my takeaway. Okay. It was really good to talk to you. It's an amazing conversation. I hope that in, in the future we can do a follow-up in a year or so from now to see how things are going with, with Datasaur. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Deep Tech Show. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Deep Tech Daily to keep updated on what's next.